Hello, and welcome to the Good Life Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope that you'll be encouraged, challenged, and that you would hear the invitation to be a part of the transformative work of God. This episode is a part of our series on the Minor Prophets. I really hope you enjoy. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Who's not glad you're here? Got to think about that for a moment. Who is glad you're here? Have you been enjoying this series through the Minor Prophets? Um, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been hard work. Uh, (laughs) So, laying my cards out. Um, Internally, I didn't want to do this series. Um, It's not a fun series. It's hard work. There's a reason why most churches don't really kind of delve into them very much. Uh, but we're, we're working really hard with our team and, you know, Hannah and I and Greg and some of the team trying to work this through are just like, we, we can't just pick and choose based on what's like easy or a fun topic to speak on. You've got to try and, you know, give as much of the whole counsel of God as we can. And, and the message of the Minor Prophets is incredibly relevant and challenging to us. It's not a kind of cute self-help, fun, kind of like motivate yourself for the week kind of a message if you haven't worked that out yet. But nevertheless, there's a message for us to hear. And so today um, is the last of this particular series we're doing. Clearly, there are 12 minor prophets, commonly uh, referred to, as we've been saying, as the Book of the Twelve. It's only really Christian groups that call this uh, the minor prophets. But we know their message is not a minor message. It's a powerful message, and the message didn't stop with them. It carried through to Jesus and his teaching of the gospel of the kingdom. It carries through to the book of Revelation, which we're going to look at in, the, in a few months' time. For quite a while, it's going to be fun. It's going to be controversial. It's going to make people nervous. It's going to make some people angry. Sounds like a great series, right? Um, <laughs> but today, we're going to look at the prophet Joel. Last week, we looked at the prophet... Oh, a little bit of hesitation in how to say that then. Apparently, I interchanged it last week while speaking, out of habit. But Habakkuk or Habakkuk, whichever one, as I said, doesn't really matter. Um, The week before, we looked at the prophet Jonah. It's good to know you were there on that week. Um, The week before, we looked at the prophet... See? Everyone knows that one because Amos is sitting on the back screen. He's, control- he's the most powerful person in the room next to the sound guy. He controls the slides. Uh, so all of a sudden, I might be going in a different direction because Amos just decides, no, nah, I reckon you should speak on this point. Prophet Amos uh, kicked off the series and Hannah did an amazing job bringing that to us. Today, we're going to look at Joel. And uh, Joel, uh, th- these books aren't actually in... Um, the chronological order that you might expect, like much of the Old Testament that we understand in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, the prophet Joel, again, a small book, uh, three chapters, uh, mostly poetry, uh, but also sits firmly in the category of prophecy, a declaration, both looking back at what's happened, seeing what's imminent and right now, and then looking ahead to what is coming ahead. The events that are described in the book of Joel most likely take place in Jerusalem, probably around uh, the book period of Ezra and Nehemiah, um, or after the destruction um, of uh, Jerusalem, 587, 586 BC. 
if that means anything to you. Preachers love saying that stuff just because there's always like three people in the congregation who know that stuff. And are like, yeah, okay, cool, I'm with you. Um, to everyone else, it's like, okay, cool, it happened a long time ago. But it's important to understand um, this dynamic because this sits firmly, most of these prophets sit within the era either just before Israel in the north's um, destruction or during the time of exile or t- the time after exile when people came back from uh, Babylon and the Persian Empire back to reestablish themselves in Judea. And so um, this era, the, the, there's a whole context of dynamics that are going on. The book of Joel has three kind of big themes that jump out. You could read it in probably, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. But one of the big themes is this language of what's called the day of the Lord. One of the other themes is hope of new creation and restoration, literally of the land, but also of the people. And then it kind of ends with this uh, theme of God's spirit being poured out for all people and God's intention to redeem and restore and to make all things new. So I want to unpack this just for a couple of minutes. And then what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a little bit of time today at the end of this series to slow down and to search our hearts and to give space for really a soul audit. It's time for us to say, through what we've been hearing over the last number of weeks, what are you saying to us, God, as a community? Which is how we always need to hear with one ear, what are you saying to us, Lord, as a church, as a people, as a community? Because our faith is not an individualistic faith. It's not just about me and God. It's about us and God. But then we also have to reflect about our individual role and how we play our part of being God's people, and we're going to take some time to do that. The day of the Lord, which is a focus that Joel has, is this key phrase that the prophets often use that describes events most often in the past when God appeared in a powerful way to save his people, to confront evil, very often to confront empires that were controlling and oppressing people. Think of the Egyptian empire and the pharaohs, who kept their people in slavery. And the day of the Lord comes to deliver them and set them free, to confront evil head on. Examples of this would be the day of the Lord, like as is expressed through the plagues that we read about in the book of Exodus. But all of these past events are meant to serve as pointers for us or for the prophets to a future time when God will once again confront evil and bring about salvation for the entire world. The prophets often speak about the coming day of the Lord and it's spoken in poetic form that is very often dramatic and um, you know, like sounds crazy and there's all these images of you know, the, the, the sky changing color and the moon and the sun changing form and color and, and it sounds like a heavy thing but it's meant to jolt us into thinking about what has gone, what has happened in the past and how God does not ignore evil. He deals with it. But it's also dramatic in that 
it's not just an end and a finality to something in which everything's then destroyed, like as if there's some angry God who just can't wait to squash everything with his big thumb and just go, cool, done. No, this is God confronting evil, but doing so in a way very often that's different to the way human beings have dealt with it. It's always with the intention of restoration, of healing, which is why one of my favorite phrases is restorative justice. It's the idea that we don't ignore injustice, but the intention is not to destroy. The intention is to set it aside and bring about renewal and restoration. And this is always the heartbeat of God, and we see this clearly in the prophets. Chapter 1 of Joel focuses on this event that's taken place where there's this almost plague of locusts that the people of Judea have experienced. And it's horrendous. It brings about massive economic challenges for them. It brings about food shortages because these locusts come in and they destroy everything. And so their nation is left in a state of going, this is horrendous, this is bad, what do we do? And the prophet Joel in chapter one, interestingly in the whole book of Joel, he never really confronts specific sins. Probably because when he's speaking, he knows that the people are already hearing the other prophets and their specific condemnations of their behaviors. So he's speaking generally to this idea and referring to the day of the Lord and making it a, a stark reminder as they're confronted with this plague of locusts that's destroying everything, that this is a moment for them to humble themselves. But as many commentators and scholars say, this locust plague for them, the people of Judea, is actually a little bit of a confronting thing because one of the plagues of Egypt that was a judgment against Egypt for being an oppressor over all their slaves was locusts. And now Judea is faced with this, which is this challenge for them to think, hang on a second, why is this happening to us? Could it be that we have reverted back or maybe we've allowed empire to creep into who we are as a people? Joel chapter 2 is this call to true repentance, which we'll unpack in a moment, and restoration, in which the end of that chapter ends with a future promise of God's Spirit being poured out. And then Joel chapter 3 is this strong challenge, again, with big, bold language, around God dealing with the evil nations, the oppressors who come in and take over, but even then still ends with this commitment to restoration and healing. The first thought I want to share with you today is this. We need to beware because empire creeps up. And when we hear the word empire, this is a way of talking about everything that's the opposite to the way of love that's displayed in Christ. The way of love, the way of shalom, which is the invitation that God gives to humanity and how to live and how to treat one another and how to be in the world. Empire is the opposite of that. Empire is about control and power and selfish gain and thinking about yourself and how you can be in control of everything without considering the impact that this has on other people. And this is not just something of ancient era. This is something that we see but more subtly in our contemporary day and age. We talked a little bit about this um, 
last week when we were looking at Habakkuk and the five woes in chapter two that God brings against the nation of Babylon and how many of the challenges that God brings to them are still in our world today. And these are things that we need to be reflecting on and making sure that we're not allowing these things to creep up into our lives, even more challenging for us to actually be part of empire and not recognize it. Have a look at Joel chapter 2, verse 12. In Joel chapter 1, there's this challenge that the reason why you're experiencing this is because you've walked away from God's purposes for your life, Joel's saying. And in chapter 2, there's this radical call to the leaders of Judea, the people of God, to repent. But it's a call to true repentance. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Even now, despite all that's happening, despite what you're confronted with, and the threat of coming judgment even greater than the locust plagues, plagues that you've already experienced, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. There's a Hebrew word, teshuva. And this is the Hebrew word for repentance. It literally means to return. And this is the, the word that's used in this verse. And in this particular translation that I've used, they're actually using exactly that word, return to me. But they would have heard this as repent. Now, when we hear, hear the word repent, and we've said this many times over the last year, very often this word is a loaded word that often comes with a sense of condemnation attached to it, a sense of fear, a sense of overwhelm. But when the, when the nations hear the prophets declaring teshuva, the word to them means to return to God, to return to their first love. To, the, to return to who they are called fundamentally to be. And so the prophet declares these words, return to me with all of your heart. And then goes on and says, this is what this kind of repentance, this returning should look like. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. This is a key verse to kind of hold in tension as you read all of the confrontational statements that the prophets have been declaring. Because what they're trying to highlight here is the heartbeat of the creator of the universe. And what Joel is actually doing here, he's actually quoting Exodus and the words that were declared over the people of Israel when they abandoned the ways of God and they built the golden calf that became like a statue and idol to them. Because they weren't trusting the heartbeat of God. They were like, we want some visible sign that we can actually put our trust and our hope in. And they were challenged and confronted for that. But they learnt in that era back then and Joel's reminding them again, this is who God is. He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger. The word rend here literally means to tear or to cut. And tearing or cutting one's garments has been a long time Jewish expression of grief or sorrow. 
But as you know, with any traditional cultural practice that we have, and in the contemporary church, trust me, we have traditions and culture and things that we do. I know this because if we ever change it, people write emails or quickly chat to me about it. In some churches, if you move the piano from one side of the stage to the other, you'll split the church. In some traditions, if you don't sing the right hymns or the right songs, or you sing new songs instead of old songs, or you sing old songs instead of new songs, people get upset because you move their cheese. The challenge with anything that we get attached to is that our human rituals, expressions, and traditions in and of themselves are not bad. They're a way for us to literally embody what it is to express our faith in the physical. So when people in a church service lift their hands, and when they clap, and when we sing, or when we do sign language like Andrea did and blessed us with so much this morning, thank you very much. How moving. This is an expression of our humanness that is good and helpful and, and incredible. And in the same way, the Jews had a tradition that when they knew things were out of line, either as a result of grief through death or sickness or disease, they would express physically to God by the tearing of their clothes. And when they were called to repent for walking rebelliously, in other words, when they were living totally different to their identity, who God was calling them to be, and when they realized this, they would tear their clothes as a sign and an act that they are actually grieved and they are lamenting the way that they have lived. But what Joel says is here is basically speaking to the fact that we can get very good at doing the actions because they become common and familiar to us and we can actually separate the physical expression of that with what's actually happening in our hearts. And he's saying here, rend your heart and not your garments. Not because tearing of garments is bad, but because you're missing the point. And he says, return, here's the word again, return to the Lord. Why? Because he's gracious and he's good and he's kind and he wants to restore and he wants to establish you again as who you're fundamentally called to be. And this is a bold and a great challenge for us. Repentance can't just be a show that you put on to get out of trouble. And aren't kids the masters of that? I was. God's interested in genuine change when his people stop their selfish and evil actions the next thing that he goes on to say in verse 14 is who knows question he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing grain offerings and drink offerings for the lord your god you know the extraordinary thing about this passage is a reminder of the heartbeat of god god doesn't ignore our sinfulness our injustice our abandoning our the way that we're called to live. He calls us to repentance, to change our mind, to return back to who we fundamentally are called to be. And he doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve. That's mercy. 
We learned all about mercy when we looked at the story of Jonah. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced a lot of the mercy of God in my life. But then he goes a step further and he's so gracious. I remember someone explained to me in kind of simple terms one day the difference between mercy and, just, uh, mercy and grace. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve and you're relieved. You're like, oh, grace is when you get something that you know you don't deserve. It's a subtle difference, but this is exactly what God in Christ does for us. He doesn't just forgive us of our sins. He actually sets us apart and says, Peter, I now am going to use you, a sinner, a man who lived for himself. I'm now going to use you to actually fulfill my purposes. Peter, Simon Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, that denied Jesus three times. What does Jesus say to him? He restores him. He forgives him. And then he gives him a mission. He's going to use him. Peter goes on as one of the early church leaders to help establish God's church and the mission of the kingdom of God where he goes. God's purposes are always full of mercy and of grace. And oh, how we need this. The next thought for us to reflect on today is this. We need to make space for deep renewal. And I'm calling this today a humble audit, both corporately and individually. We need to make space. There's a Hebrew word that I don't even know if I'll say this correctly, but it's chesbon nefesh. It means accounting of the soul. It's actually a Jewish practice of carving out time to actually do a soul audit, to, to actually account, to, to look at one's life through the practices of meditation and reflection, through hearing the scriptures, by entering into silence, and actually being still enough to genuinely, genuinely reflect on whether or not our souls and our lives are in alignment with who God invites us to be by His mercy and His grace. This passage of Scripture is an invitation for us in the letter of Joel to actually slow down, to pause, to return and actually allow God to show us where it is that we've stepped away from His purposes in our lives and actually find forgiveness, mercy and grace to move forwards. And the last thought of this is that we're challenged in this passage to live alive to the Spirit have a look at what he says at the end of chapter 2. In the verses just before what we're about to read, the prophet Joel declares that if you return to the Lord, he'll basically heal and restore the land. There will be no more pestilence and, and struggle and plagues and God's commitment is not only to renew them as a people, but literally to restore their land. That they would see God's goodness in abundance this is the heartbeat of God for them. And then he goes on and says, and afterwards, in other words, in the age to come, and they don't know exactly when this is going to be, but he says, verse 28, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Can we say that together today, these two words? On all people, your sons and daughters. 
they'll prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Dreams are basically what happens when you're sleeping. Visions are what happens when you're alert, but you see something kind of go into a different space. That's the common understanding of this dynamic. And then in verse 29, it says, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is an incredible promise that we actually see fulfilled in the story of the book of Acts in the early church in Acts chapter 2 when Peter stands up and the Spirit's being poured out on these ordinary everyday Jewish people. What's profound about this is he declares to them that what you're seeing and experiencing as God's people come alive to the Spirit of Christ and God's purposes for their life. This is what Joel was talking about. And it was an amazing era in time. And this is the era that we are in. The era of the Spirit poured out on all flesh, on all people, men and women. Now, the reason why this is profound is because what God's saying through Joel is that the people understood as the Spirit of God being in the temple. But He's telling them it's expanding. God isn't just going to be in the temple. He's going to be living amongst and within His people. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God that, that they understood to reside in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, is now going to be in you, will empower you and show you how to love God and love neighbor. And this isn't just poured out, this isn't an anointing for kings and for prophets. Because in the Hebrew Scriptures, it was the kings and it was the prophets who were set apart and anointed by the Spirit of God to do God's work. Now God's saying through Joel, in these coming days, my spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, men and women, they will prophesy. In other words, they will declare the words and the life of God. And this is exciting and this is challenging because this is the era that we live in. God's spirit and presence is here among us. The challenge for us, however, is not just for us to know about this, but to actually experience this and walk in it. And this is the challenge where we have to be so careful that we don't get so comfortable with our religious and our church practices that we actually know how to live, inverted commas, the spirit-filled life, which just very often can look like doing the actions and the practices without having our hearts deeply connected which is why Jesus says, stay connected to the vine. You've got to stay connected. You've got to allow the Spirit of God to transform your heart and your mind because it's your heart and your mind transformed that challenges and, and impacts the way that you're going to live your life in this world. And we're going to take a few moments today to reflect. And on this last slide here to or one of the last slides, to, to actually return to our true identity and our calling. This is the challenge for every one of us, individually and corporately. What would it look like if good life continually, as a daily practice, returns back to our true identity as God's sons and daughters, empowered by God's Spirit, transformed in our hearts and minds in such a way that we cannot but live in our workplaces, 
in our schools, in our universities, in our homes, in ways that look like God's purposes for humanity, mercy and justice. In other words, when the Spirit of God is working in your heart and transforming your mind, you're going to find yourself getting angry at injustice. Not angry at the people, but angry at the system and the power that sits behind anything that oppresses a fellow human being. Anything that stops someone else from flourishing and having life and joy and peace and living in the shalom that God invites us to. Oh man, when the Spirit of God gets a hold. This is why throughout most of, and I say most because not all, the revivals, which is a word that we've come up not so much in Scripture, but the revivals in history where God's people have become alert to the purposes of God, their hearts have become soft in God's presence. What normally happens, and this is what we call the fruit of revival, is that society is transformed. Blessing flows. It's less about religion and church buildings being filled up and more about what happens when God's people are transformed by the Spirit of God. They don't need to hear a prophet come to them and say, hey, you've allowed empire to creep in and now you look just like the world. They actually get encouragements that continue to do the things that you are called to do, which is to sow mercy and to sow justice. And when you think back over this series at some of the key themes that have come out, one of the key scriptures that is, is just overwhelmingly just jumps out at us and is central to Jesus' message is Amos chapter 5, verse 24 that Hannah shared in the first week that says, God's saying, this is what I'm looking for from my people. I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Now, on the final screen, I put a summary of some of the points and the messages that have come through from the prophets that we have looked at over the coming weeks. And if you have a look here, some of the themes have been social justice, meaning fair treatment and compassion for the vulnerable, idolatry, meaning the worship of anything that takes priority over God's purposes, pride. The prophets often critique pride and arrogance and they encourage humility before God and they warn against relying on human strength or wealth. The challenge to mercy and compassion towards those that we think don't deserve it. The people that we go, well, they shouldn't really be in our church. What does it look like for us to, to be humbled and to express the heartbeat of God? And what does hope and restoration look like? The overwhelming theme that we keep coming back to is despite warnings of judgment, the prophets often speak of God's future blessings, redemption, and the restoration that we get to participate in the here and the now. I want to invite you to stand with us this morning. And so for the coming minutes, as, the, as our team begins to, to express through song and through music, I, I want to invite you to say, God, are there any of those things that you want to get my attention about? Have any of those things, have any of this, has this empire stuff been creeping into my heart? And here's the amazing thing about the era that we live in. The Spirit of God is here, poured out on all 
doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, messed up, believe you're broken. doesn't matter whether you think you've got it all worked out. The Spirit of God is here and in us, and we need to become alert to it and say, God, wake me up to your presence. And in doing so, listen to the voice of the Spirit deep in our hearts that says, hey, here's what I want you to do so that you look like my people in the world, so that through your life and your community, the world can see that God is a God of loving grace and mercy and justice, that He cares for everyone. And so often what we do is we actually make repentance in our contemporary churches just about our own personal sinful life, those areas where we feel shame and embarrassment, we feel like I'm not being a good Christian. But you know what? It's so much bigger than that. It's God saying, I want you to reorientate everything that you do, the way you think about social justice, the way that you think about others and community, the way that you think about neighborhood, the way that you think about your work. And let's listen to the voice of God because when God speaks and gives us a gracious invitation to transform, it's not to condemn us, it's to set us free, to liberate us so that we look like the people that God's offering an invitation to everybody else to experience. So let's take some time right now. Some of you may need to move to a different spot in the building. Some of you may need to kneel. Maybe lift your hands. Whatever the physical expression is for you that helps you embody the thing that's happening in your heart. And let's listen to God's Spirit. Let's listen to His Spirit speak right now. Hannah, team, just lead us in worship and Let's respond to God. What's He saying to you? What's He saying to us? Thanks for listening to the Good Life Podcast today. Remember that you can stay up to date by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening on right now. We would love it if you could give us a like and follow on social media or even leave a five-star review. It all helps in getting the good news out there. You can also head to our website, goodlife.org.au or our YouTube for video content and resources. Until next time, peace.